Luke chapter 15 is probably the most famous chapter of uh, parables in the Bible. I am a lover of parables. Uh, you will know that by the end of today. Uh, doesn't mean you'll like what I have to say, but <laughs> I'm a lover of parables. Um, I really believe that it is in the parables that we come closest to hearing the real words of Jesus. Uh, we always throw all the text and everything around it. Jesus was a storyteller. He went out and preached. He didn't do all the other stuff around talking to the people. He told them stories that they might understand who he was and who God is. And, and, and so we have here in chapter 15 these three wonderful parables. Let me say this. If you have five or six hours you would like to invest and, and, and just have empty time, come and I'll tell you about parables. Uh, if you have only two hours, come and I'll talk briefly about chapter 15 for, with you because that's a two-hour brief conversation. Uh, uh, I, I love these parables that much. And you know the three parables. We have parables of lost sheep, parables of the lost coin, and parable of the lost sons. And, and, and the thing here that is, is persistent in through these parables is the seeking. The seeking. We're seeking these things because they've been lost. And then we have joy. There is a theme in these parables that's about joy. And so we celebrate. You want to have a party and you want to justify having a party? Go to Luke chapter 15. You get all the justification you need to have as big a party as you want. So the parables are there and they tell us so much here. The context of the parables is always critical. And in particularly with our parables today, this context is essential if we're going to understand what Jesus was trying to say to us. Jesus is actually responding in the parable here of what we often call the prodigal son. is responding to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and their charges in verses 1 and 2. If you remember, they've complained that he's receiving and welcoming sinners. And, and if you look around, you'll find that he's actually eating with sinners. And that's a real problem. He's eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. And so they really are complaining about Jesus' choice of dinner companions. He hasn't made wise decisions. This issue of table fellowship, as it's often called in the New Testament, this issue of fable, table fellowship is really essential to understanding the, the, the challenges that Jesus has with the religious leaders and the authorities. Um, you were either clean or unclean by who you ate with. And some people couldn't be clean, like shepherds, because their job kept them from being clean. It was an impossibility. Uh, and other people, other folks like that. And so if you wanted to be clean, you only ate with people who were clean. So in other words, you ate with the Pharisees and you ate with the scribes, and that's about all you did. It's almost like having supper clubs. Right? You only ask certain people, and you, you have this little club, and that's what you do. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus invited the wrong people into the club. Oh, my goodness. What is Jesus doing here? And they are incensed by this. Because them, it's really religious. Here is a person talking about God who is unclean. How can they talk about God? And we work so hard to be clean. We who are Pharisees and scribes, we really sacrifice really critical parts of our lives to be clean. And here is this guy just saying he knows God and he's throwing it out. So Jesus, is, Jesus uses the parables to explain why he welcomes and eats with sinners and tax collectors. It begins to illustrate Jesus' view of his work. And his work really is around that theme of Luke you find in, in, in chapter 19, verse 10, which says, The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. This is the theme of Luke. It's what Luke is all about. And Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees and the scribes here who are complaining about his dinner companions, look, this is my role. This is my ministry. This, this is what God has sent me here for. For Jesus, 
Being at table and welcoming sinners is a prophetic sign. We should wake up and see this sign. It is a sign that the Messianic age has arrived. The age of forgiveness is among us. The age of radical hospitality has showed up. Grace has showed up, and it has entered human history. This is the work that God is doing. It is my ministry. It's a new chapter of religious history. You know our old history, and we're not throwing it out. It's not been bad. But I'm telling you, something new has entered history here, a new attitude towards sinners. The table does have religious meaning. It has religious meaning for Jesus. And he is declaring that the table is open to all. The table is open to all. This declaration of Jesus does not sit well with the religious leaders. And so that brings us to our parable today. Jesus starts trying to illustrate what he wants them to understand through the parable. Now, there's a lot of names for this this parable. If you look in your Bible, it says probably the parable of the prodigal son. That's probably the most common name that we have for it. And there's something compelling about that, is there not? It appeals to our emotions as much as it does to our intellect because we sense our need for that kind of love and radical grace. We see it happen with the, with the, the prodigal and we say, whew, maybe there's room for me too. If the prodigal can get by with it and get forgiveness, maybe I can. And so there's something emotional about that that meets a need for us. Helmetilichy called it a father's love. He says this parable is about the father. Joachim Jeremias, who is the great 20th century uh, uh, theologian and scholar around, around uh, parables, calls it a father's love. Peter Ray Jones, who happened to be my professor, called it the compassionate father and angry brother. There are lots of ways to view this parable. But we should not lose sight of the audience, or we might not, appropriately find ourselves in the parable. We all want to be the prodigal son at the end. That's not who we are in this parable, probably. If we're a prodigal son and we need that forgiveness, it is there for us. But there's a bigger message to those of us who sit here today. So the parable begins with a man. A father has two sons. The younger son says, uh, hey, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, the younger son's going to get one-third. There's two sons. The older son's going to get two-thirds. The younger son's going to get one-third. He is not doing anything illegal here. Or, Well, it's wrong, but it's not illegal to say, give me my share now. I want my third. But what he is saying to the father is, I wish you were dead. Because I would have this by now if you were dead. And so I don't want you as my father. Give me my share. And as we all know, he goes out of there and he wasted in the far country with wild living, and that does imply immoral behavior. He loses his money, he wastes his money, and the next thing you know, he's feeding pigs. And he wants to eat the carob pods. Now, not the beans inside the pods. He knows he can't have those. He would just take the pods and eat them because he was so hungry, and no one would give him anything. There's a Jewish proverb that says, when Israelites stand in need of carob beans, then they return to God. And so the scripture tells us, Jesus tells us in this story, The boy comes to his senses, came to himself. He realized who he was. Barclay says about these words, Jesus paid sinning humanity the greatest compliment it has ever been paid with those words. We have the ability to come to our senses. Don't you know some people you wish would come to their senses? Right? We have that ability. It's not beyond us. And so with great compliment here, the young boy comes to, the young man comes to his senses and he repents. 
That's what that means when it says he comes to his senses. He fully realizes the weight of what's going on in his life, what he's doing, and that he's chosen a wrong course, and he's going to turn around, he's going to repent. And so the prodigal wakes up and says, oh my goodness, my father's servants are doing well compared to me. I'll go back. I know I can't be a son again. I am not worthy of that. Legally, he is not worthy of that. I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll go back, though, and at least I will eat. And so the prodigal goes home to be a servant. It says something to me about how the father treats the servants, does it not? Though he could not legally be a son, he knew it wasn't bad to be a hired servant in his father's home. Seemed to be a decent man who knew how to treat people. So you wonder why the son left to begin with, but that's a whole other story, not for today. He was morally unworthy to be a son, and yet he knew he could find help at home. And here the father enters the story. He sees the son a long way off. He's watching. He's hoping. Tillich says this about the father. He says, the father will wait for him and never stop watching for him. And the father's watching. And finally, he sees him a, a long way off. And we're told he's filled with compassion in Jesus' story. And he runs to him. This is not done. Older men, I'm one of those. When you see us run, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Kids should run to us. We should not run to them. Right? And so he runs with them. This is undignified. This, this is below his position as a wealthy landowner, as a father. It's below his position, but he doesn't care. He runs to him. He's filled with that compassion. He kisses him. He hugs him. He sees the repentance of his son, and it is met with radical grace and total acceptance. Again, he's not worthy to be a son, but the father throws that aside. There are no lectures here. There's not, well, I hope you've come to your senses now, young man. You know it's going to be a hard road. You can earn your way back here, but you've got a hard road to go. Now, none of that. There's no lectures. The father just reacts with joy. And he, because he's so joyful, he acts without reserve. Throws aside his dignity. Throws aside all the legalities and goes out and meets the son. The kiss is a sign of forgiveness. The robe is, is the kind of thing you do for a, a visiting dignitary. That's an honorary thing. Uh, the ring says authority in that day and age. The shoes are the sign of a free person. All God's children's got shoes. The shoes are the, signs of a, are the sign of a free person. Everything the father does declares, this is my son. The theme of the day is joy. The entire atmosphere is joy and celebration. The party is on. The lost is found. What a great story. My goodness, can you see why people listen to Jesus tell stories? What a great story. But now... We move to the older brother. He shows up. He hears the party. And he becomes angry. And the words there says, he refuses to go in. This is technically known as a refusal parable. There's several of them in the Bible, in the New Testament. And, and, and the refusal parable is really interesting. The, 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 the word is, you have a word no, uk, no here. And then you have i theleo, which means I will not. Theleo means I will means I will not. So it's no, I will not. And so with emphasis, the boy says, the young man says, I will not go in. 
Every time someone is seen in a refusal parable with those words, they're on the outside. They've missed God. It is dangerous ground to be on to take that kind of negative stance about anything in this world, but about definitely about things related to God. Oh, I will not do that. I won't consider that. That's got to be outside the church. All those kind of things that people say. Refusal parables should teach us something. The older brother is on the outside in so many ways. Like the younger son, the older brother has an inadequate view of his father. His, his, his relationship with his father is not built on warmth and love. It's built on transaction. I have slaved for you for years. I've never been disobedient. How would you like that, kids, to say that for you? Your kid? Yeah, it's kind of a nice thing to say. About you. Well, I've never been disobedient. Yeah, that doesn't sound much warmth there, does it? It's a relationship of convenience and necessary, not one of worth and love. He is saying to the Father, you owe me. I've lived up to all the rules and regulations. I've kept the law since I was a young person. You owe me. And notice what he says about his brother. This son of yours, not this brother of mine, I will have no touch with that person, that other side of humanity. And so the older brother's display is different. It's not like the younger brother and wanting kind of just going off and doing, doing things he shouldn't be doing. But it's just as unattractive. His personality traits and those things he does are just as unattractive as that as the prodigal. The father enters the scene again. Here he comes. And what does the father do? He goes out again. Again, the father goes out. The son should be coming in. This is not done. The father just throwing his dignity out the door. And he says to the son, everything I have is yours. I haven't cheated you. Everything I have is love. I love you. You're my son. This, your brother, has come back and we had to celebrate. We are family. We are family again. Jesus leaves the story at this point. You notice that the outcome is unknown. If you've heard this parable talked about before, you know that. The outcome is unknown. The older brother is on the outside, and we don't know what he'll decide to do, nor do we ever get that answer. Remember, the older brother is the audience for the parable. We're talking to the Pharisees. We're talking to the scribes. We're talking to the older brothers of the Jewish world. We often dismiss the Pharisees and scribes and, and cheer the prodigals. Oh, they're the heroes. We need to understand that Jesus shows he understood the feelings of the older brother. Jesus is pleading with the older brother, with those who misunderstand his welcoming of sinners, because he loves the Pharisees and the older brothers as much as he loves the prodigal, as much as he loves the sinners. Jesus invite, invites both to accept the God of radical and extravagant grace. There is room in the house for both brothers, for everyone, and only an absolute refusal keeps one out. The point is clear, is it not? No one can really say father unless she or he is ready to say sister or brother also. We have to say sister and brother to all God's children, all God's children, before we will ever be able to say father. There is a clear message here to those in the church who at times get critical and self-righteous, who refuse to abandon judging, who keep people out. There's a clear message here 
We are the ones on the outside if we do that. Thank God that Dayspring is a place that says you are welcome here. Because that's how you find God. So this parable is Jesus' response to those upset that he eats and with sinners and welcomes them. So what can we take from this parable for our Lenten journey? First, we can come to our senses. Though we may be in a far place, and some of us are at times, we can come to our senses and we can repent. God is a God who runs out to us, even when we are far off, with radical grace and acceptance for us. There's no earning God's love. There's no being worthy of God's love. It is just yours if you want it. If you just come to your senses. So don't be afraid this Lent to take a hard look at yourself. To look at the repentance and the struggles that really need to go on in your life and dealing with those things and accept God's radical grace. You're going to be met with a God running out to you. This is what God was doing in Jesus. He was running out. To all the people. Jesus is God's running to us. As a church, we should be running out to people. This is our mission. We've talked about poverty as being and, and running out to people who have needs. This is what we should be doing as a church. Running out to people who find themselves in the far country. Who feel unwelcome. Who feel mistreated by God's openness to all. We should be running out with radical grace. With love and acceptance to everyone around us. And we should be welcoming everyone who wants to come in these doors. We should be a place of joy, a place of celebration, a place of fun. Our work in the community, our work around poverty, while very difficult and challenging, should also bring us joy because we are doing the radical work of grace that God calls us to do. You heard Gail read earlier 2 Corinthians, and it talks about all things become new. We become a new creation. And so one of the things we can become are new creations. Letting God recreate, renew us every day with his radical grace. And the other thing we can do is practice this ministry of reconciliation. Clearly, we're told by Paul, you are now the ambassadors to do the work of reconciliation. So Jesus calls us to two things. One, be loved by God and accept that love. And two, be ambassadors of that love. I pray that we come to our senses this Lent for all of us, that you find whatever your senses are, we come to those, and we find that radical grace of God empowering us as we welcome everyone into our home. Amen.